0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Modern Health with Dr. Jane. Today, I wanna to talk to you about premature ovarian failure and why you shouldn't give up if this is the diagnosis that you are given. And more importantly, what you can do about the diagnosis and see if there's anything that you can do to reverse it. because uh, I'm working on some really special cases that I'm looking forward to sharing with you soon. And I have worked with many mentors who have worked with women with premature ovarian failure to help reverse the, the ovarian failure, if you will, and to help these women and these couples to conceive naturally. And so I'm not, this is not about a false positivity talk, we're like, don't worry, you can do it. It, Don't believe the doctor. It's really about understanding why this is a diagnosis that is happening for you, what is causing it, and most importantly, what we can do about it. So, Because the thing that really uh, pisses me off is when the doctors just put a this label, you have premature ovarian failure. You, your chance of conceiving naturally is 5%. And this stat is pulled out of, I don't know where not, they don't know anything about your own case. And it's one of the hardest diagnoses. Like it's earth shattering diagnosis, especially if you're in your early thirties and even mid thirties, I see women, uh, have a, I mean, have a very shattering experience that breaks them not just physically, but like mentally and emotionally. And so, I want to, I want to give you some kind of stats, and I want to give you a different perspective to look at premature ovarian failure, so we can do what the the most that you can do, so there is no regret at the end of this journey, because uh, you know if it's just one doctor or maybe it's two or three that gave you that approach, you know, gave you that diagnosis. What I would say is that it's not necessarily... Okay, sure, you might have the diagnosis, but if they're not offering you a solution or if you feel pressured into IVF and they're giving you really low stats and now you're put into this position where you are basically choosing a procedure that's super, super invasive and harsh on your system and super expensive and super emotionally taxing. Um, to me, that's not an option that I would want to go because I believe that the human body can heal. Because I've experienced that in my own body, I've experienced that in my family members, obviously with my patients, and I see and I work with mentors who have reversed some of you know kind of the craziest diseases, if you will, through healing. And that's what you know I work on developing in my program and helping patients go through. Like break your belief system in terms of what you think your body is capable of. And bef- I'm going to get into the stats with, you know, egg quality and all that jazz. But for me, I remember when I was in my early 20s and my doctor told me I had IBS and there was nothing I could do about it. If I went to another doctor, chances are I would get the same answer. Hey, sorry, your IBS isn't bad enough. When it gets really bad, then you can look into getting surgery, which is like super invasive and super uh, life-changing, if you will, for the worst, obviously. Um, and if I continue to go to the conventional approach, that's just the answer that I would get. As opposed to the light bulb moment that I had, I was like, I just don't think that they know everything because something feels like it's missing. Why is my body not working the way that it should? And that's when I found naturopathic medicine. That's when I found that alternative approach. And sure enough, it wasn't the first naturopath that you know, really healed and fixed me, it took me like five or six naturopaths before I found the one that really shifted me in a way where I wasn't attached to supplements or diet and lifestyle to uh, maintain the health that I wanted. But needless to say, finding someone who looks at the body as a whole and tries to understand why things are happening and then shifting the system in a way that actually allows to create health we can see that reflection in the body. So whether that's reversing autoimmune disease or diabetes or premature ovarian failure, it's all possible. And that's why I want to make this podcast because it breaks my heart when I have, uh, you know, thirty-year-olds who are just in tears in their, or even in their late twenties, that uh, have basically had this earth-shattering diagnosis and they feel like there's nothing they can do about it. So let's talk about the actual stats, we know that women are born with all of their eggs. And so the eggs, it actually starts to develop. So when you're pregnant with a girl, a baby girl, her ovaries and her eggs are developing, and they actually will die off as well as a, you know, when she's a fetus before she's born. And uh, by the time that we are born as females, we have anywhere between one to like max 2 million eggs. At puberty, you have about 300 000 to 400,000 eggs. So when your menstrual cycle starts, that's about how many eggs you have. And with each cycle, you have about a thousand eggs that die off. So there's a lot of eggs in the follicle and they're all immature. And the process of ovulation is when the hormonal shifts are dictating a follicle to grow and mature, and hopefully uh, it, it should be just one follicle, obviously that grows and mature, uh, unless we're talking about twins here, and then the rest of the eggs around it will die. And so that's why the it's about a thousand that you lose per cycle. So at 30, you're looking at about 72,000 uh, 72, eggs that are left, and at 40, you're looking at about 18,000 that are left. Now, it might sound like, oh my God, only 18,000 in comparison to 300,000 and I'm losing 1,000. So what I want you to really think about is the quality of the egg versus the quantity that's left. And more about the process of ovulation that happens and how regulated it is because ovulation starts in the brain. So it's your that LH surge, right? The drop in LH surge. But the thing that causes the LH surge to happen is actually the elevated estrogen leading up to the LH surge. And the thing that causes that estrogen to go up during ovulation is actually the growing and the maturing of the follicle. So the more that the follicle grows and matures, the more estrogen it produces. And then as it produces that, uh, you know, the peak of estrogen, if you will, it drops LH peaks, and then ovulation occurs. And then, um, of course, the brain talks with FSH, and that's the, the follicle-stimulating hormone. It starts to stimulate, and uh, we're going to address, well, if I have high FSH, if I have high MH, I'm going to address all of that as we go through the podcast. So let's talk about what actually causes premature ovarian failure. So premature ovarian failure, first of all, is when your ovaries fail and they cannot see any follicles. So, um, and I'm going to do quotations here that you do not have any follicles left that are viable, or you have very little follicles left that are viable based on what, you know, based on your age. And, I want you to remember this number, the 30,000, sorry, when you're uh, 30 years old, 72,000, about you have 72,000 eggs remaining, and at 40, you have about 18,000, right? So in between there, obviously, you have something in between, depending on how old you are. So what happens and what actually causes premature ovarian failure? If you look it up in the old literature, the main thing that happens is that there is a high toxic load, usually some sort of chemotherapy or radiation is the most common thing so if you've had cancer when you were young and you had to have you know intense level of radiation and intense level of chemotherapy it's very likely that it's going to burn out your ovaries and your eggs and really what happens is when you have this high chemical toxic load the body is going to protect its so most vital organs which is reproductive system for the female is a very vital organ this is where we store our dna and so the body is just going to shut that system down. And so when they try to look on the ultrasound, they're not going to be able to see anything. And then you're going to look at your AMH levels and your AMH levels are going to be really low because chances are, if you've had chemotherapy, radiation, or high toxic load, we're going to talk about that, you have a bunch of inflammation. And chances are, You probably have some blood sugar dysregulation. You probably have some thyroid issues. You probably also have some stress. All of these things will impact your levels of AMH. So your AMH is not written in stone. And when somebody does not, when they cannot see the eggs on the ultrasound, what I want you to think about is, do you think at age 30, when you look at the follicles that are remaining, can they see 72,000 eggs? On the ultrasound. They can't see 72,000. They'll see kind of the biggest and the most prominent ones, but they're not going to see every single one. And so I just want you to think about the fact that we don't actually like, yes, we have these tools to look really deep into the body, but the body can also protect and hide things based on what else is going on. And I'll tell you based on the cases that are happening with me, uh, you know, the cases that I'm working with right now, So if we can't see the eggs in the follicles, right, and the AMH is low, all the other hormones are very likely low as well, because like I said, the the ovaries are the thing that helps to produce our estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and even our cortisol. And so when we test these women, all of their stuff will be quite low, um, with the exception of estrogen might be really high if it's coming from an exogenous place. And what I mean by that is usually it's coming from environmental toxins that are mimicking estrogens. And so then it's creating a lot of bad estrogens in our system, right? A lot of these environmental toxins are endocrine disruptors. And so they're disrupting our own endocrine system, our own hormonal system. The thing that here is what I like, the connection that I want you to make, whether it's you've had the, if you haven't had chemo or a like chemotherapy or high radiation. The truth as of what's happening in our world is our toxic load is really, really high. And, you know, even when I first started practicing, I did not put this much weight on the environment. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's important. You know, like I, I just drank tap water or like filtered it with Brita, maybe, uh, you know, if you take your supplements, if you exercise, you eat well, and you don't smoke and you don't drink a lot, you're going to be healthy. And in reality, like that's not really happening anymore. People are eating really healthy. They're not drinking. They're drinking a lot of water. It's not filtered water. They're drinking a lot of water. They're eating well for the most part. And they're not healthy, aka they can't get pregnant. So the thing that I'm going to say always is your pregnancy is a natural process. So if it's not happening, something is wrong. So now if you've been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and you haven't had radiation or chemotherapy All that tells me is there's some sort of inflammation or toxicity that's going on that's at pretty high level that your system is just used to living at now because guaranteed you don't feel good. I've never met somebody who's struggling with POF that has really high energy and really regular cycles and really good digestion and good thyroid function and clear skin. Because those things don't go hand in hand. And so we know that something is wrong and it just, every person is different in terms of how they express, uh, how they express environmental toxic overload. This is where the genes are going to play a role. So if we put two people in the same room and they have the same environmental toxic load, one person may get POF, so premature ovarian failure, while the other person may develop endometriosis while somebody else might develop diabetes. Yeah, that's your genetic predisposition. But the reason that I know that there is a chemical load or environmental toxic load, or even a high chronic infection, is because our ovaries are filled with mitochondria. So if I can take you back to grade 11 biology, and you remember the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, that's the thing that helps to produce energy. And that's how most people know it as. But in reality, mitochondria, it's not just a powerhouse, it's also a battleship. And we see mitochondria really high levels in things that require a lot of energy. So in our nervous system, in our brain, in, the, in our actual neural tissue, it's also really high in muscles, like cardiovascular system and your muscles, like on your quads and your—you uh, know your arms, legs, whatever. And of course, it's really high in our reproductive system. So if the brain is kind of the highest levels that we'll see of mitochondria per cell is in the brain, um, you can see up to almost, I think they did up to 2 million mitochondria in one cell in the brain, whereas on the eggs in the sperm, you're seeing about hundreds of thousands. So like 100 to 200,000 mitochondria per cell. Just think about that, 100 to 200,000 mitochondria per cell in the ovaries in the sperm. And then it's about two and maybe even 5,000 in the muscle, depending on how active that muscle is. So cardiovascular system versus your digestive system, right? Versus your musculoskeletal. So mitochondria is really important because it's going to help us produce energy. But I talked about it being a battleship as well. So what does that mean? Mitochondria basically, and it it's a teeter totter. So it's either working to produce this energy, or it's battling. And the things that really impact the mitochondria, aka puts it into battleship mold uh, mode, is mold is one of them. Toxins, chemicals, plastics, phthalates, radiation, so radioactive elements, uh, infections, whether it's viral, parasitic, bacterial these infections will think about the first thing that happens to you when you get sick, your energy drops. And that's because a bunch of the mitochondria go off to go into battleship mode instead of powerhouse mode. And so it's this teeter-totter, it can't be both at the same time. The other thing that most people don't know that a mitochondria does for us, is it actually helps us with the production of our hormones, our cortisol, so that's our stress hormone, and also our sex hormones, are estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And this is true for both males and females. Obviously, males make more testosterone. Females make more estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. But when this whole, I mean, I think it was a couple of years ago that in the alternative medicine, we start talking about there's adrenal fatigue. You have adrenal fatigue. It's like adrenal fatigue doesn't exist. You're not producing cortisol because your mitochondria is damaged. Mitochondrial damage is very real because we see now battleship versus powerhouse. And in premature ovarian failure, what I see is a lot of mitochondrial damage. There's a lot of toxins, whether they're, like I said, parasitic, bacterial, or environmental, coming from the plastics, the phthalates, the volatile organic compounds that we're exposed to, mold, yeast, you name it. And so we see a lot, a lot of damage to the mitochondria. And so what happens in the female system to protect our reproductive organs and to protect our DNA, the system will shut down and the follicles will shrink. And when those follicles will shrink, no matter the, that's when the AMH is gonna go down, not only because the follicles have shrunk, but now you have a lot of inflammation. You have a chronic infection of some kind. And inflammation um, really impedes AMH. So it really impacts AMH. I've seen that AMH almost double or triple when we've gotten rid of the infections and improved the, you know, got rid of the infections and then just improved the inflammation overall. So the follicles will shrink and they will become really tiny. You won't be able to see them. And that also means that now they're not going to be producing these vital hormones that we need as females, just not to get pregnant, but for our health, so that estrogen, progesterone and testosterone and also your cortisol. Now, the cortisol is coming from the adrenal glands, it's not coming from the ovaries, but our ovaries do make some cortisol as well. I just mean if there's mitochondrial damage, it's not just going to be uh, you know, isolated to ovaries. It's going to be everywhere, but your genetic predisposition is going to make it either like it's going to basically Alter you to one place or another, right? That's a genetic predisposition. That's something that we can't change. But what we can change is obviously decrease the stress on the mitochondria, remove the obstacle, so remove whatever it is in the environment that's making you sick, and then give the body the nutrients that it needs in order, um, in order to heal. Because again, we for whatever reason we just think that okay, I guess this is a permanent diagnosis and there's nothing I can do about it. but I want you to think about POF or endometriosis or PCOS as a diagnosis of heart disease. That's a diagnosis of diabetes. We know that your lifestyle and your diet drastically changes the outcome of you developing cardiovascular disease or developing cancer for that matter or developing any other kind of disease. Female reproductive diseases are not any different. And the only, what I'd say, the only difference is like, yes, there's a genetic predisposition, but there's also usually a mental and emotional component that needs to be addressed. And for us women, we will store some of our deepest kind of hurts and pains and emotional pains and traumas in our reproductive system, because it's that, it's a very deep, Root. If you're into chakras, like this is our sacral chakra, a lot of our belief systems that come from that. I can't tell you how many women that I've worked with that had reproductive, like I mean, basically ninety five percent of them, that have reproductive issues have also had some trauma, and doesn't have to be you know they call it big T versus little T. It doesn't have to be big trauma, like it doesn't have to be sexual abuse or some crazy abandonment. Like it could just be not feeling connected to your partner. Sorry, not feeling connected to your mom or not feeling connected to your dad or have a sibling that like it was a traumatic relationship with your sibling or grandparent, whatever. We all carry and store trauma in different places. And I find when our body is like really a guide for us to understand and to heal. And so when we have a lot of issues in the reproductive system, I always get my patients to look deeper and to just ask your body to be like, hey, what are you trying to tell me here? Um, you know, Because it's not out of my realm to recommend, uh, whether it's hypnosis or psychedelic therapy or something, to help bring some of the stuff that you're carrying subconsciously into your conscious. If you're carrying some deep hurts, pains subconsciously, and your body is just not healing or not responding to treatment, we know like it's a really powerful block. And when I talk about you want to remove the obstacle and then give the body the nutrients what it needs, that obstacle could be removing parasites, removing yeast or mold or infections, and you know any other environmental toxins, infections, or it could be an obstacle from removing some of the old past beliefs that you have about yourself, about the world, about you know your parents, whatever it is. So, this is why I wanted to share this because in reality, if you have premature ovarian failure. Like I said, it's probably the most earth-shattering diagnosis that you can have as a woman. Because I believe we as women should have a choice in terms of how many babies we want to have. And we should have the choice and the, the tools in order to be able to heal. And even if you haven't had radiation or any huge chemical exposure, but you have this diagnosis, the best thing that you can do is know that you've done absolutely everything that you could possibly do to have a baby, if that's the thing that you want. Because, and I don't mean that from like an IVF warrior stance, because that's a huge thing in the fertility world that I'm also um, really is heartbreaking for me, because women are just pumping themselves full of chemicals and meds and toxins and just fighting fighting to have a baby as opposed to healing to have a baby and healing their relationship with our body, healing their relationship with themselves, their partner, their p- family, whatever, um, and just healing their body, period, giving their body the thing that it needs to heal. When I say, I want you to do everything that you can, I mean, do everything that you can that feels like it's nurturing and nourishing for you. And that's going to make you a better person, no matter what the outcome is. That's what healing is to me. If that's a good fight to have, because if you're doing everything that you can in order to become healthier, a more well-rounded a more fulfilled individual, then we should see that through the body, meaning your digestion improves, your brain fog improves, your energy improves, your skin clears up, your menstrual cycle regulates, and you don't have any more pain. And that is a reflection of good fertility. Because sometimes we let doctors tell us what we can and cannot do based on just some lab tests that they saw without knowing our full history. Not just your symptoms, your health assessment, but like who you are as a person and what you have been through. And I realize that a lot of it will be out of their uh, out of their context. Meaning, like I don't have a psychotherapy degree or counseling degree. You know, I can't. Uh, I'm not a psychologist, but I can recognize when that's a problem, so I can refer you out to get some help. And I think a lot of professionals need to develop deeper relationships with our patients so they can recognize what the actual issue is and provide you with the support that you need, as opposed to give you a blank, like, here you go, this is the diagnosis, sorry, there's nothing you can do about it without truly knowing who you are. So... I hope you guys that this helps you and gives you a different perspective. Uh, and when I say like, why you shouldn't give up, because I believe that your fertility journey should be a healing journey. And that's what I make it through my program. That's what I make it in my, uh, for all of my patients. And I hope that you start looking at it as well. And there's a couple of questions that I know that you'll have around premature ovarian failure that I think I already answered. Uh, but. You know, if they can't see the follicles, just know that they can't see all the follicles and the follicles need to mature or be mature enough for them to see it. And usually when they're not maturing or they're hiding, it's because there's a lot of inflammation and the body's trying to protect it. So a lot of the times it doesn't mean that you don't have any eggs left. Uh, It's just that the quality is probably not very good. And the reason that that quality isn't very good is because there is a lot of inflammation environmental toxins and the body is just trying to protect it. If your AMH is low, just know that that number is not written in stone. And I see it very commonly impacted by blood sugar. So insulin uh, resistance and blood sugar dysregulation, inflammation, thyroid, uh, stress, obviously. And then uh, when I, I, we never just look at AMH, we wanna look at what the other hormones are doing. So what's your progesterone levels? day 21, day 19 to 21, depending on your cycle length, what's your day three hormones are doing, including LH, FSH, and estrogen. And so that brings me to the question of like, okay, but what if my FSH is really high? It's at like 15 or 17. And here's how I want you to think about FSH. Again, nothing is written in stone. Okay. So FSH levels change unless you test it consistently Every month, and it's over 25, I believe, then we know you're going into perimenopause. But if it's, if you go and do this experiment and you retest it on day three every cycle for a little bit, see how much it can fluctuate. Now, if FSH is high, The way that I want you to think about FSH, it's a follicle stimulating hormone. It's a hormone that comes from the brain, and it's the hormone that comes from the brain to tell the ovary to start to produce to mature a follicle, right? The best follicle that you could that the body can create. And you want to look at this as a this relationship between uh, the brain and the ovary is a parent and a child relationship. So the brain is the parent, and the ovary is the child. And FSH is the communication. So think of if you had to tell your child, if you had a child and you had to just whisper to your child to put on your shoes, hey, can you please put on your shoes? And then the child just did that. That's like the brain whispering to the ovary to ovulate and then boom, the ovary just started the process, the uh, estrogen uh, peaked, the LH surged and the ovulation occurred. That would mean that that FSH is really low because the brain didn't have to speak very loudly versus the brain has to yell at the ovary to ovulate. So the, you as a parent had to yell at your child numerous times to get them to put their shoes on that's high FSH. So when I see high FSH, all that tells me is that the brain is trying to scream at the ovary to ovulate And then we can actually confirm and see if ovulation is still happening because you might be ovulating, but that egg is just really poor quality and it's immature. And so even when the sperm gets to it, there's just nothing there, there's nothing for the sperm to do. There's nothing to fertilize. It's too poor quality. So FSH is not written in stone. And when I see high FSH, all that tells me is that the brain is really, really trying hard to tell the ovaries to ovulate and usually that has an, then that reflects into the fact that the ovary is, or the eggs and the follicles are immature and they're poor quality. And so there isn't enough detection, if you will, that even if ovulation occurs, it's just really sluggish. And so the brain is like, okay, let's try this again. Um, And it just comes down to what I talked about before is that we really want to look at optimizing mitochondrial function. And understanding what's causing the mitochondria to not be functioning well in the first place. So that wraps it up for me. I, like I said, you guys, this isn't about positive, positive, toxic positivity in the fertility space, where it's like, you can do it, you can get pregnant, stay positive. It's not about staying positive, it's about understanding what's going on in your body. And doing everything that you can to heal so you can find peace through this journey. Because I'll tell you, I've uh, also dealt with women who have really struggled with infertility. And uh, now it's too late. They're in their you know, late 40s, early 50s, and they've kind of uh, you know, stopped trying and given up, if you will. But they still don't have peace in the journey. They still have anxiety. They still don't understand why their body has failed them. And so while if you're listening to this and you have... POF, premature ovarian failure, or you are struggling with infertility, don't have the regret of, I wish I did this. I wish I would have not listened to my doctor. I wish I would have found a naturopathic doctor. I wish I would have found a functional doctor. I wish I would have asked for more testing, because that is the worst feeling that you can have. And so instead of wishing, we want to put ourselves in a position where we are looking and we're not. Uh, We're not doing it frantically. We're not just grasping at straws. We're actually putting on, you know, blindfolds, if you will. We're focusing and we're trying to find a practitioner that's going to help us make sense of what's going on for us. Because like I said, I'm working on some really special cases that I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys uh, soon. And I've worked with so many mentors and continue to work with so many mentors who have reversed premature ovarian failure and their couples were able to get pregnant and to conceive. And so to conceive naturally. And so it's very much possible. We just need to understand what's happening for you, do some proper testing, and then you know provide a treatment based on your lifestyle, based on your testing. So it's not this shot in the dark. And, uh, you know, because it doesn't have to be, like I said, I believe in the body, the female body is amazing, the capacity that it has to heal. And if you don't have this relationship with your body, um, I was there with my IBS where I lost trust in it completely. And I think infertility is even worse, where you just feel like a total failure, because in reality, you know that it should be able to do this. Um, And I believe that it can. We just need to understand. We need to understand why it's not doing it and give you the proper tools to be able to to have peace, to have peace in the journey. That's going to be, you know, that peace is priceless. Okay, thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love for you to rate this podcast if you enjoyed it and if you found it valuable. Um, Give me a follow if you don't want to miss any more information and maybe even send it to someone who needs to hear it. I am accepting new patients still through my maximize your fertility program. So feel free to click and hit the application, fill out the application below and, uh, you know, see if I'm the right person to help you. Thanks so much, you guys much love until next time.